This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 188 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Today, we'll reset the scene after Georgia State's first 3-0 start in program history. We'll dive into the win over Charlotte last Saturday and preview the Thursday night matchup against Coastal Carolina. But first, there's a bit of breaking news to talk about, and that is that Georgia State has entered the name, image, and likeness arena with the All Blue, All NIL Collective, announced today on Twitter and launched by former Associate AD for Sports Communications Mike Holmes and former GSU football player turned lawyer Gabe Mobley. It's billed as the official source to link fans, donors, and businesses to Panther student-athletes to facilitate name, image, and likeness opportunities. The website is allblueallnil.com. More details are forthcoming, and we're looking forward to having Mike on the pod soon to talk all about it. But for now, gentlemen, thoughts on All Blue All NIL? It's a must. Um, No matter how big or small it gets, and I, I think especially on the basketball side, I would expect it to be kind of an important deal for Georgia State to kind of grab a, more of a foothold and, you know, recruiting, keeping good players, all that. Um, but also in football, obviously, this past offseason, we saw that better programs can come calling. And if the offer is, you know, whatever it is, and I'm sure it was good when Thomas Score is going to Miami, Jamin Muhammad's going to U- USC, all that. Like, I'm sure that in those type of conversations, Georgia State's still got a ways to go. This is a little bit nominal in comparison to what the big programs are going to be able to offer, but being able to offer something matters. And we don't know that it's the case that in a future time when someone's calling and there's just, you know, anything that they're getting in addition to their scholarship that is going to keep them here might be worthwhile. And so I'm interested to see kind of how it grows. I'm interested to see what all it's going to entail. And that's why I'm excited to kind of talk to Mike about it coming up when we find the time to make that happen. But the big takeaway is just like this needed to happen at some point. You got to show you're at least this serious in college athletics in 2023 to succeed. We, we can quabble about whether it's a good thing or not, but it's the reality of the game. So you got to catch up. Yeah, that's, that was kind of where my initial thoughts landed with it. Um, I also kind of thought that there was something else. I, I, you know, maybe I'm just misremembering, but I really thought that, at least Georgia state had something else, but if there wasn't anything before this, it seems like having, you know, kind of a unified and specific group that's capable of providing resources for, I mean, uh, players, you know, the people who end up managing players, you know, parents, um, you know, as long as it's above board, like that's, that's what you want to see. You know, like you said, other schools have, you know, things like this. And if you want to play in college football, you know, college athletics in 2023, that's really what you're looking for. So. And not just saying this, cause we know Mike and we know he's listening to the pod. So we'd be buttering him up, but definitely when I saw who was involved, I was like, these are the right people to be at the front, the forefront of something like this. And having a former player who's now a lawyer uh, being one of the major parts of uh, running this just makes it just a cool story as well. Uh, and and not, a, not a unique thing either, you know, not to bring up those uh, people down South, but Kyle Van Treese, who's the quarterback for Georgia Southern last year is already involved in NIL stuff down there. And so it, it's a unique opportunity to, you know, put at the, put at the center of something like this, a 
fairly recent football graduate. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see where they take it. I hope we get some fun deals, you know, like some, some fun brand deals that just make sense with guys and their names like that. You know, I think we could talk about like the merits of NIL, but from a fan perspective, I think just seeing the brand engagement and just seeing kind of the partnerships that have arisen from it. Those are fun, right? You know, like the, what was it? The Decoldis Crawford, um, the wide receiver who's got DIC Hopkins. Yeah. DIC Hopkins. I feel like the connection is not too far in a name like that. Exactly. You know, so I love when there's, you know, companies that look for players with names that definitely make sense to, you know, partner up with. So I'm I'm hoping we get some of those here at Georgia State as well. Yeah, we'll have to brainstorm a little off air and see what we come up with. Yeah, like you guys said, this is all stuff that we should uh, be very excited about. Lots of uh, possibilities, lots of good prospects, including... Uh, as a lot of other NIL collectives have done, merchandise for teams that have been kind of neglected or player-specific stuff all run through the same kind of uh, thread to uh, use a little bit of wordplay. But yeah, yeah, get excited for that. Should be a lot of uh, more information coming out about that soon. And of course, we will forward as much of that as we can. But let's go ahead and talk about this past weekend in football action up at Charlotte. 41-25 to win for the Panthers. After getting out to 17-0 in 34-10 leads and really controlling the game, things momentarily got a little bit dicey for Georgia State when some mistakes for the Panthers piled up and Charlotte was able to score 15 points in a little under 2 minutes and 30 seconds to cut the deficit to single digits late in the third quarter. But after Darren Granger connected with Robert Lewis for his second long touchdown catch of the night, Georgia State was back in command and went on to secure their first road win of 2023. Granger was the star of the game, falling five yards short of the school record with 466 passing yards. For his part, Lewis broke the single-game receiving yards record with 220, and his 97-yard touchdown in the second quarter is a new school record for longest play from scrimmage. So before we kick off a discussion of the game, I just wanted to take a brief moment and talk about uh, the experience that Brady and I had. Brady, feel free to uh, chime in at any point in time but uh, it was a really nice trip up to charlotte the uh, folks at the charlotte media uh, relations uh, office really took good care of us we had a nice trip uh spent some time on sunday walking around the city and uh, rode their light rail system which by the way is what the atlanta streetcar should have been but uh, at further risk of uh, derailing i'll let brady uh, say a little bit of his thoughts about our trip derailing i'll, I'll let that slide we can move on and actually talk about other stuff that was a sly little thing you did there. But uh, yeah, I had not been to Charlotte. I've been to North Carolina a few different times, uh, mostly to Raleigh because I've got family there. But first time in the Queen City. And like Jordan said, no complaints about the experience at the game. Well taken care of. Nice press box. Uh, Ojangles food, which felt nice and tied in uh, to uh, you know the area. And yeah, went down, walked around, saw the Charlotte Knights baseball stadium triple a affiliate of the white Sox, which is a park that i had always seen pictures of online it looked very cool with the cityscape that it's got so it was kind of my first thing i wanted to go to because i just that's how my brain works that's the things that inspire me is just like seeing minor league baseball stadiums on rainy days uh, and i walked around and saw the panther stadium as well and yeah the biggest thing to say overall is that jordan now is a believer in the gospel of Bob Evans. Cause I also 
introduced him to Bob Evans, which is a regional chain, little north of Georgia. So there aren't any down here. It's a place that my family's always gone to, and uh, that's how we close the trip out. And that's the biggest takeaway, obviously. Of course, yeah. For, forget the football. Forget the uh, you know smart, uh, interesting urban planning and the uh, efficient light rail system with multiple stops between university campuses and points of interest in downtown. It's all about that Bob Evans mac and cheese and those biscuits, man. But for real, it, it was it was a really fun trip, and it was even better uh, to do all that the morning after a huge win to put the Panthers up three and zero on the season for the first time in program history. But I'll let you guys break down everything that happened in that game. So I'll start um, because yeah, three and zero for the first time in school history is, and I mean, it's incredible. Um, I think the the crazy part about this game is if you told me seven days ago, um, you know, we, we, we last week on the podcast, I, I specifically talked about how Charlotte has struggled with teams running the ball. And if, I to, if you told me seven days ago that Georgia State would have only 102 rushing yards and didn't say anything else, I would probably think, oh, man, they probably really struggled to score. They, you know, probably the offense wasn't moving the ball at all. You know, Darren might have thrown some interceptions and, you know, things had just gotten one dimensional probably. So they had to pass. Um, and, you know, Charlotte probably either moved the ball really effectively on them or they just, you know, dominated the time of possession battle. So they had a few scores. Um, but then, I mean, watching that game, I don't think I've ever seen. Darren Granger and his receivers look as in sync as they did. I mean, that was just a truthfully masterful performance out of, you know, Darren Granger at the quarterback position to Leek Williams and Robert Lewis at the wide receiver position. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Truthfully, like I watching that game, like I think when people have complained over the years about Darren's ability to pass and people have defended Darren. People have said that that type of game has always been in Darren's back pocket. Um, I remember two, I think 2021, the ULM game, you know, with the first game where Darren, you know, as Georgia state was kind of going on that run middle to late in the season, there was that Darren had a great passing game and he was throwing bombs. It, it wasn't just, you know, guys catching balls in space and running for yards after the catch. No, I mean, he was throwing actual, really good deep passes and this was and, and, and we've seen that growth over the years um, hasn't always been perfect but this was an incredible game from georgia state's passing attack i mean i like i don't even have a ton of words to really describe what it was like watching yeah obviously starting with the passing game is the most it's where you gotta go because it was the takeaway and you know, I guess it shouldn't have been that surprising for us, given that he had looked good in the first two games. But I think it was another game where you saw the offseason work he did bulking up pay off because, I mean, those deep balls were perfect. You know, you had a the, the 97 yard one was right after a turnover on downs. And, you know, it was one of those sequences that, you know. Last year feels like it was going against Georgia State, but they have the turnover and downs in the next play. They call a deep shot, which in post game, Coach Ellie was like, yeah, I was talking to Trey McKnight. I was like, let's take this deep shot here. Let, let's go for it. Um, hit him perfectly in stride. Uh, Talik Williams got a 78-yard. Sorry, I, we've been saying it wrong, by the way, or at least I have. It's Tyleek. Tyleek Williams. 
he had a great game. He had a 78 yarder, which was less about Darren and more about a total coverage bust. But he also hit him in stride as he needed to. Uh, Robert Lewis, the honestly, the second touchdown, the 38 yarder that he got, where Darren is kind of facing down pressure on his back foot and Robert had to juggle to get it in and catch up to it. That was honestly more impressive than the 97 yarder, uh, but all over the place, making plays in the passing game and almost just as impressive to me, though less flashy. Darren just seemed in control and just like he would roll and find Jakari Carter on a third down conversion here or there. And he just always knew where to go with the ball and put it right where it needed to go. And you know, we've seen the deep throws and I think that that part of his game has gotten better, even though he was able to lean on that even in his first year as a starter. But I think you saw a really complete passer and he maybe hasn't always been that. And so if those are the steps that he's taking and if you can not only survive when the rushing only gets just over hundred yards, you don't get a rush larger than 12 yards, but thrive like they did against Charlotte. I mean, they're going to face sterner defenses for sure. And they're not going to get, some of these coverage busts that they saw uh, against Charlotte all season long, but teams saw that tape and now it's like, we got to prepare for that, but they also could just run inside zone 40 times on us. Like it, it adds so much dimensions to what this offense can do. And it means that I, I really believe even if they don't average 40 a game, I think this is a capital G good offense. You know, forget the level of opponent. It's just how they are playing right now and how Darren is kind of orchestrating everything. It just feels like that unit is going to be hard to beat if they aren't getting in their own way. And through three games, they really haven't done that at all. And I think I agree with you. And what I liked about this game was, you know, you look at the box score. They rushed for 39 times for 102 yards. That's not, you know, that the announcers the entire game were talking about how, oh, this is a Georgia State team that, you know, they're going to run the ball 40 times and they're going to get 200 yards. And they didn't do that. And that's fine. But I still thought they were running effectively. And I think that matters more than, you know, continuing some streak of hitting 200 yards on the ground. Because you're right. I think so far this year, regardless of opponent, when the offense has been moving and, you know, when they have kept the offense on the field like Georgia State has kind of done what they've wanted and I th- I think Charlotte was a you know UConn was definitely a better defense um, but I think Charlotte had at least a good game plan to stop the run against Georgia State and a good front and, and, and a good front absolutely like it you know Charlotte definitely brought pressure and there were times where Charlotte got off the field um, and really made Georgia State earn you know those 41 points it wasn't like Charlotte you know just kind of, I don't. I don't think Charlotte played bad. I think Georgia State just played better. And you know, I, and while that distinction might not necessarily matter, you know, I just, I just think the offense for Georgia State is clicking on all cylinders right now. And and you know, it is. I I really want to appreciate Marcus Carroll right now because. He so far this season, like he's been a top running back in the country. Um, I think he, in terms of yards per game, is like third or fourth, tied for third or fourth. Um, and he, you know, he didn't have one of those, you know, huge breakaway runs that he's had over the past couple of weeks. But he, you know, he grinded. You know, as the as the game kind of wore down and Charlotte was really kind of defending the pass, he was able to, you know do the short yardage thing and really pick up some first downs as Georgia state kind of needed it. And, you know, he, he kept his head on and was still able to be a tough runner that we've seen. And, and, and that has value, you know, make no mistake that absolutely has value. Even if the passing game looks as good as it does, um, 
because it, it you know you, it keeps defenses honest. Defenses will still have to play both sides of that passing attack, both sides of you know both sides of the offense. They'll have to play the ground game. They'll have to play you know kind of on the back end when the wide receivers are doing so good and when Darren's spreading it out to everybody. So yeah, I mean just a really good game all around. Um, which I mean, I honestly I think it takes away from another game that I think that the defense did really really well. Some numbers of what you were just going through there did not get into that many obvious, you know, short yardage situations. I looked at it defining a third or fourth in short as one or two yards to go. Georgia State was two for two. They got it both times. And that isn't necessarily any wow number, but we've seen them kind of struggle in these early situation, early season with these situations. And even last year or something I've talked about multiple times. So in the obvious running situations, even against a front that did a pretty good job most of the game against Georgia State's run attack, you were able to get those yards. And so that, for me, was encouraging. That's about the only thing I can really say from the running side, just because I think Charlotte did have guys there. I think the one spot on their defense where they were pretty stacked was up front, and they did kind of what Georgia State did against Charlotte's run, just kind of one up front, didn't really allow there to be the running lanes, with the one exception being for the second week in a row, we had a situation where I'm up in the press box watching down at the goal line. It's uh, third and six at the eight yard line. And I see the box and I just do some math in my head. And I'm like, this is a Darren run. And they're not going to touch him before he gets the end zone. Um, it didn't help that Charlotte also had pretty wide splits of their defensive linemen to where on the snap, every Reese like looked around for someone to block. He did not have anyone that needed any of his attention. And so he just kind of moseyed down got in front of a safety at the goal line and Darren just waltzed in right past him. Uh, I want to go back though, and kind of give defenses a little bit of credit or give them a little bit of context because the empty set stuff that Trent McKnight's working with and Darren is fully in charge of is just kind of diabolical because in that play, they had a wide receivers, tight ends out wide in the empty set. And, you know, if they come over and they have a linebacker right in the box and they have the safety kind of creep over, they could just run that screen to the outside and they've got the numbers there. And so it's kind of a thing where they always go to the talk about how quarterbacks got a lot of choice in this offense and they'll go up to the line with a run play and a pass play. And he's got to read the numbers and see what the right call is. And, you know, right now he's been just making the right call on all of those things. and it's really hard to stop, you know, as long as the play is executed well uh, and Darren makes the right call at the line. I mean, that stuff is just, it is a lot for defenses to have to prepare for because there's almost no way you can get it right as long as Georgia State and specifically Darren does everything he's supposed to do. And, you know, I think the big, one of the biggest things is no turnovers. Didn't throw an interception, didn't put the ball on the ground, um, you know, just uh, as clean as they've been this year. You know, you really just want to see that continue because it's it's absolutely helped. Like they have helped themselves by playing as clean as possible and not giving teams short field position. So, I mean, that's 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 what you want to do. That's that's how you know the offense really is humming as well as it is right now. And again, situationally, there were just moments that they did exactly what they needed to right when they, you know, the bell was called because they were up 17 nothing. Uh, defense got the turnover on downs at the goal line to keep it 17 nothing, but the offense could not uh, 
in that instance, there was maybe the, the one or two sequences of the, the game against Charlotte where the offense didn't really get anything going two drives in a row. And so Charlotte kept winning the field position battle, um, ended up starting plus territory, I think, both of the next two drives or right around it, scored 10 points. And you're looking at it at 17-10 with exactly a minute to go. And being there, the crowd was definitely back in it at that point. There was a lot of juice. They had kind of tapped into something on offense. Uh, and in years past, I mean, it's those type of situations. We've seen Coach Elliott just kind of, all right, hand it off a couple of times. If you break one, we see what the drive goes. If not, we take it to half. Um, but Charlotte was going to get the ball after the break. So I thought points were going to be really important. And they worked underneath stuff, stuff right to the sideline, just marched down the field. Darren, again, was making all the right decisions of who to go to. Eventually broke a bigger one, got 16-yard catch uh, by Jakias Cradle into field goal range. A uh, little bit of hijinks with the clock. Um, I think the thing that might made the rule change go away with the first downs is coaches being annoyed that they forget to stop on first downs now under two minutes because that's what happened. And uh, I know after the game, Coach Elliott said he wanted that extra play there uh, to try and get to the end zone or whatever. But fact is, is it was a classic march down the field. Leon Rickman hits his second field goal, true from 40, was it 46, I think is what it was officially listed at. And that field goal felt massive. And then again, you know, everything... Everything went to hell later. <laughs> no better way to put it than that. Uh, it's 34-10, and at that point, it felt like Georgia State could coast. They couldn't because after the offense goes three and out, uh, or sorry, before the offense goes three and out, Charlotte has their quarterback, Jalen Jones, get an inexplicable 50-year touchdown pass where he stayed in bounds and stayed up, uh, running past about four or five Georgia State guys that really should have at least forced him out of bounds. Um, to get a two-point conversion, Cut it to 16, and then then the three and out happens for the offense. The other time in the game where anything kind of got a little stagnant for the offense, and Charlotte houses the punt return. Uh, got a little bit lucky because a two-point conversion that would have made it an eight-point game got called back on an offensive pass interference. But at that point, it was a nine-point game after it had just been you were in cruise control, like just keep going the way you've been going and you're fine. Offense goes out and scores, get that second Lewis touchdown. And everything was kind of fine at that point. Defense held their own down the stretch. Score stayed the same till the final whistle. And that's what we saw, you know, the Rhode Island game. They met the call when they had to. Uh, saw them kind of get clinical there against UConn and put up scores to put that game out of reach. And kind of a, we know the level opponent. You could really make the case Rhode Island's the best team they've played this year after we've seen, you know, UConn lost FIU at home this past week. They really feel like they've fallen off from last year. Charlotte, like Georgia State was the better team. And Charlotte's going through a year one. They're kind of having to build and go through some tough losses. Uh, it happens. But the level opponent aside, we're seeing behaviors from this team that were missing last year. And the offense is kind of chief in that and that they are just making these key moments happen and putting up touchdowns when they have to. And that's those two points in the game were really important times. Yeah. You know, in my prep for this, I wanted to try to make some sort of key argument about Georgia state being a second half team um, because obviously they scored 21 points in the second half of this week. Um, that's not true. They're still scoring most of their points in the first half. I've um, not allowed a point in the first quarter this year. 
Yeah, I mean that is that's true. They are. I think they are starting incredibly strong, starting fast. Um, and you know we've seen that from them before. But the thing is, is they're also finishing strong. They, you know, they're. I can't say they're finishing fast because some of these scores are um, a little bit lopsided. Rhode Island was a lopsided, you know, into the fourth, and then they scored. Um, but yeah, I mean that like this is what you you wanted to be fixed after last year. You know, obviously you're not going to blow out every single team and Georgia state beat, you know, Rhode Island by only seven. Um, but they are still finding ways to be strong into the end of games and still make plays. And, you know, they could easily go on coast mode and, you know, we've seen some large leads slip out of Georgia state's hands in years past. And that's just not happening right now. Um, you know, whether you want to credit that to, you know, a different team philosophy, whether you want to credit that to, you know, the strength and conditioning changing or, you know, whatever it is, it's just, it's really good football right now. Yeah. And, you know, with the way that you had that little sequence at the second half that made it close, you kind of wanted to ding the defense and they definitely were giving up their fair share of chunk plays. I don't know. You know, going into the week, Jalen Jones had kind of been the starter. And so it was a surprise to me that Charlotte went to Trexler Ivy, their backup quarterback, more of a pocket passer, just on the second series on. And I, I think it worked in the sense that they were able to hit on some plays. You know, in the set in the first half, Georgia State was being kind of off with their pressures. They were mostly just sending four, sometimes three. Ivy was getting to sit back there. I think I, I charted a couple of them that it was like four seconds, four point two four seconds. And there were some coverage issues, you know, guys were more, way more open than they should have been. But when you're giving a quarterback that much time, I'm really going to start by saying it's a pressure issue. Um, but the other part of that was even in the first half, when they were giving up a lot of those plays, they were giving up long chunk plays, but they're not giving up long chunk touchdown. And they were walling up, you know, I mentioned it a couple of times now with the turnover on downs, but it's a huge sequence. And there were two of them. Both of them, I think, instigated by the fact that Georgia State was just really good up front against the run. Because you know, whether you're talking about down in the red zone when they're down, Charlotte's down 17 nothing, trying to get on the board for the first time, or their first drive of the game when they go for it on a fourth and one, run an end around that gets blocked and gets stuffed in the backfield for a loss. Georgia State was able to just kind of win up front themselves. It was not a case of Georgia State couldn't establish a run, but Charlotte could. No, Georgia State's defense did a better job against the run than Charlotte's did. And it meant that on a fourth and one, they felt obligated to run an end around, which it's not easy to beat this team with their speed laterally. And they showed why. And they had, you know, Kevin Swint making that play. It was the same thing down at the goal line. It was a First couple, you know, they lost two on a first and goal three back to the five. They picked up four. Jordan Venziel made a really tough, strong goal line tackle at the one. Third and one, they ran it up the gut again, and it just got absolutely nowhere. And so on fourth down, they ran a little swing pass to the fullback. And, you know, bless his heart, he tripped and fell. And so that was ultimately the, why the, the play did not work. And also, Ivy did miss an open tight end in the end zone. but. The fact is on right down there, the nitty gritty on the last play at the one, they felt obligated to run a little play action pass off to the side because for the second time, 
they had kind of looked at it and gone, I don't know if we can run up the middle on these guys for a yard to get this touchdown. And I mentioned earlier, Georgia State was two for two in those third and fourth and shorts. Charlotte was two for five. And those two of those plays were right there on those fourth downs. And so really big momentum plays. And so you know, they gave up some chunk plays, especially in the first half. It got a little bit better because they got four sacks and really upped the pressure in the second half and got IV off schedule. But at the end of the day, a 72% stop rate for Georgia State's defense in this game, that being drives of Charlotte that ended in a punt, a turnover, or a turnover on downs. And that is a very, very good number. Very good number. That, I mean, that's good defenses. That's where you want to be. Um, still definitely some things to clean up, like you said. Um, Charlotte actually had more big plays uh, officially than Georgia State, which is very funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I came away impressed with the defense. Um, again, I think the one thing I will say is a lot of the tackles for loss, they had 10 in the game. It felt like a lot more of them were just them getting to the running backs um, and just blowing up, you know, things behind the line of scrimmage that were on the ground. Obviously, they did have four sacks. Um, you know, you mentioned that they were in the second half mostly, um, which is true. Entirely. Um, All four were in the second half. That is true. Um and it, it, I, you know, I made a mental note during the game. I was like, I felt like they were getting in the backfield, but not getting sacks. And then I think they rattled off like two very quickly. Um, so they got is- one on each of the first two possessions of the second half. It, it was another thing that Coach Elliott mentioned last week against UConn in this one that he felt really good about how they were able to come out as a defense in the second half and get stops to start. And that was, you know, we talked about the, the rough sequence, but. That was the continuation of a good sequence that was started with that field goal drive to make it 20-10 at the half because they get a stop, they get a touchdown to go up 17, they get another stop, they get another touchdown to go up 24. Like It was as bad as the sequence was to give up 15 points in the course of 224. That's how good or better the sequence was when they turned the score from 17-10 to 34-10, just over about a half of a quarter of time. And at the end of the day, that was more points than what they gave up in that stretch. And that ended up mattering. And they had built themselves a 24 point lead with which to mess around a little bit and work it out at the end of the, you know, by the time the game was over. Sorry to back up to what you just said about coach. That is back to back games where they have kicked off to open the second half and forced the three and out. So good on the defense for coming out of the locker room, fresh and ready to, you know, chomp at the bit. I don't want to say it was a case of them being like surprised by the fact that Ivy played as much and that they were kind of preparing for more of a run game because that had been what Charlotte had shown. But if that was the case, then what they did at halftime worked because you saw them just go crazy. I mean, you saw a lot of the the type of exotic blitzes we haven't seen in Georgia State in a while because, you know, Kevin Swint got one of the four sacks and he was the only one of the guys who ever plays with a hand on the ground who got the sack. Cause you had Josiah Robinson got the first sack when Shamar McCollum blew up his guy, forced Ivy to roll out to the right and just run into Josiah Robinson who was coming on a blitz. Then you had Gavin Pringle on what I think must be the first corner blitz this year, uh, get a sack by forcing Ivy to just kind of fall out of bounds. You had Jeremiah Johnson get one later in the game on a play where both he and I believe it was Cody Jones, the star blitz from the same side, diabolical exotic stuff. And it was working. And 
I think that's what we kind of had heard as the book on Chad Staggs as a play caller. That's how he wants to play. And it works. And it's what got Charlotte off schedule. And so I think now that they've cleaned up a lot of the communication stuff, we might see more of a return to those kind of play calls because it didn't work out great in the first game because those blitzes were not getting anywhere, but it seems like they have kind of worked on that stuff and gotten that better. And I think that's going to be the ticket to keeping teams on the back foot, keeping teams guessing where the pressure is going to be coming from because they're going to face some good quarterbacks. And if you're sitting back and you're not trying to get after them and you're giving them time, then they're going to pick you apart. I mean, that starts this week with the next team Georgia State plays. With I was about to say, that sounds exactly like the same thing we've talked about with Grayson McCall every week, every year, the last few years. So, yeah, that absolutely starts this week. And then I, we have to talk about it. Uh, special teams decidedly looked a lot worse than it had before, which was disappointing. But maybe you chalk it up to a one-off. Um Obviously, the punt, the punt return was the biggest offender, but even before then, the returns decisions weren't great. Uh, Robert took a couple out that he shouldn't have, could have called a fair catch. There were two formation penalties on the punt, which was just literally just, I think, lining up, not on the line of scrimmage, uh, was my rudimentary read of it looking back on, on rewatch. And like stuff like that can't happen. And actually, it, one of those happened on the punt return for the touchdown. So as we were sitting there watching it live, Everyone assumed that someone on Charlotte had jumped and because the flag went up immediately. And it was only after the play when you saw the players hear the ref and run over to the Charlotte sideline. It's like, oh, no, this is on state and this punt return is going to stand. Um, the, I, I, I should separate this into two things because all of that stuff, the mess, uh, you can't have that stuff crop up. But I should separate out the specialists because Cade Loggins had another good game and Liam Rickman, ice cold. Uh, the first one was a nice, easy chip shot. Uh, maybe that helped to ease him in, but buried that 46-yarder, which is by no means a gimme at the college level, and it was his first two kicks. Um, questions about what was going to be of the kicking position, losing Michael Hayes, and uh, so far, so good on that regard. So I, I definitely don't want to lump him in on that because absolutely did everything he was asked to do. Yeah, I mean, I think the punt return was just really good blocking. Um, Someone missed on it right away. They could yeah. have gotten them right at when he had caught it for about a one yard, and that was the thing that Coach Elliott said. But yeah, and I think that that's really what put them behind the eight ball, um, and they never really recovered from it. You could slightly argue there was some interesting blocking on the side there, but like, fine, whatever. They didn't call it. Um, I, I really didn't love the kick returning. Um, like you said, the decision-making wasn't great. Um, but I, I just, I don't think it was necessarily that much of a hindrance. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I I still think they have played well enough to where I'm not worried about the special teams and the returning going forwards. It it was more of a, it was pretty good the first two weeks and it was noteworthy that it had slipped again. And that was an issue last year. And so it was more like a, Hey, nip this in the bud type of thing rather than, you know, an overarching big deal, but right. Certainly you got to get lined up, right. Um, need a little bit of tighter decision-making on some of these returns. Cause 
you know, if they have another couple where they, you know, don't need to return it out of the end zone and get to like the 17 coach is going to say, Hey, you're fair catching again. Like we know that it's not that far from his mind just to say, let's take the 25. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about this Thursday's game at coastal Carolina. That is going to be airing at 7 30 PM Thursday night on ESPN. That's big boy ESPN, the uno. This is going to be the Sunbelt opener for each team on Thursday for the second year running. The shots enter this week's game 2-1, fresh off of a 66-7 beatdown of Duquesne. They're coached in his first season by Tim Beck and led by the three-time reigning Sunbelt Player of the Year quarterback Grayson McCall. And it'll be a return to Conway for Panthers defensive coordinator Chad Staggs, who coached at Coastal from 2019 through last season, serving as the interim head coach after Jamie Chadwell left for Liberty. The series between these schools is tied at three wins apiece, with the home team never winning in six times of asking. Boy, what a stat. Anyway, gentlemen, thoughts on Coastal? Yeah, I kind of want to start just by looping in the 3-0 and o conversation part of this, which we kind of left to the side, talking about the Charlotte game itself. But Georgia State won their first three games the first time ever. And it was against three teams that probably aren't that good, probably are all worse than their entire Sunbelt slate. Uh, so you do have to take that into account and... We were saying ahead of when we did our little quick reactions to the schedule, when we talked about September, it was like, yeah, you should really bank these three wins because you're going to need them for whatever your goals are and for getting momentum going in. And they did that. And so I'm really not getting too far ahead of myself on this team because that was what we had laid out before and they've done it, but it was never like a massive overachievement to get to this point. But the other part of it is, go ahead. I would just say that the quote unquote overachievement is how they've looked like, yes, you're right. They, they got the wins that they were supposed to, if you want to say, technically they've looked great. You know, like I said, the, the, uh, the Rhode Island game, the final score will say 42 to 35. I mean, we talked about it after that game happened. Rhode Island had to really put thing, you know, turn things on to even get to that 35 number. Um, and that was mostly when the game, not mostly, that was when the game was completely out of hand by the fourth quarter. I think, you know, if you're looking at the results, like, you know, give, give Georgia state their credit, you know, and you, you are obviously, um, you know, they've never been three and O and they have done what they needed to do with their schedule, but they are playing extremely well right now. And, you know, you know, if I can read what you're saying, like, you're right, this is the time where, you know, you start really kind of seeing where you are as a team and, you know, how capable you are of playing, you know, when things get harder. And it was also just going to draw a comparison between this matchup last year, where Georgia State came into a short week against Coastal, 0-3, having just lost a game to Charlotte when you were 20 point, 20 and a half point favorites. After getting kind of beat up in the first two weeks, close losses, but like beat up physically, uh, against uh, South Carolina and North Carolina. And, you know, you obviously lost Blake Carroll in the Charlotte game that year for the season. And so on a short week, you're having to replace one of your defensive leaders. And I just think that the comparison between the team, you know, physically, mentally heading into this game versus heading into this game last year is night and day. And so that's why I think the 3-0 matters is that it feels like they're in a better place they're literally in a better place because they are not dealing with quite the injuries and the importance of injuries that they were. 
Tylen Dunlap went down very early against Charlotte, and it, I, I hate it for him because he's from Charlotte. So that is just really sucky that a guy playing in his hometown basically didn't get to show out at all. Uh, Chris Bird, tight end, went down and never returned. Uh, don't know what's up there. All I would say is that Amon Green is basically the backup, like the the tight end 1B there. So I don't know that you expect to drop off. Plus, shout out Avion McBride. Got his first catch, 21 yards. Pretty key situation there in the fourth quarter. He would slot in as that backup there. Um, Dunlap, you're a little bit more worried about because there isn't a ton of D-line depth. But you know those are really the spots where there's been any injury. Whereas last year, it was like very clearly like, what's going to happen with Blake? Or who's going to replace Blake? And that's where the issues were right out of the getting against Coastal in that game. So... I think that the other part of who's going three and zero, and this is what we have said, I think multiple times, is you got to make a count. And I, looking at this just objectively, all along I haven't thought this was a great matchup for Georgia State. Going on the road, facing what we know is a very talented quarterback who has two very good receivers and Sam Pinckney and Jared Brown, um, a team that is also you know has got aspirations of continuing the excellence they've put together. It's a team that quote-unquote, knows how to win over the last couple of years. Uh, but really all the, the matchup stuff as well, just that you know, they're going to be throwing it all around and it's going to test this defense, the secondary, and the pass rush on the road. All of that points to it being, it's, it's going to be a tough game. You know, the line's at, I think, six and a half in favor of Coastal. I think that's fair. And Georgia State could play well and still lose this game. But I, this is the start of when you have to make the 3-0 and count and put all the positive energy and the you have been playing well this first three games into Sunbelt play and get going now because it's ring season. It absolutely is. Um, I, I feel like I'm not worried about Gavin Pringle covering a coastal wide receiver. I'm not sure what Stag's defensive philosophy is if they're going to just kind of have them you know, shadow or, um, you know, what they're going to do. Field boundary. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's going to be what it is. Um, I have been a little worried with Bryquise Brown um, this year. And I think he has played okay. You know, I, I just, I, I feel like this is going to be a real barometer for if if he's up for it this year or... Uh, you know, I'm, I don't say this to say that I think he's going to be replaced as a starter. No, but I think it's going to really help set his expe- my expectations for what the the ceiling for the secondary can be. Um, I'm not saying that you know both of them are going to go out there and completely shut down you know Pinkney and you know Brown because one they're too good um, and also Grayson McCall is too good. So it's going to take you know the entire defense playing well to even you know change things in that respect, but. I mean, this is really going to be a game where those two guys, you know, the safeties, um, they really kind of make their bacon as to what, you know, what we've seen this year. I've liked what I've seen out of Taiji Leach. Um, you know, he, especially, especially in a run defense. I mean, he really kind of run and I think, screen. Yeah. He comes, we, he, he comes and lays the boom on when he gets a head start. You know, we we talked about coming into the season, you know, how is Georgia State going to replace, you know, the hit stick? Well, congrats. They've already found a way to do that um, in, in spurts. Yeah. We'll say we, I we mean, can't honestly, give him the name yet. 
all of the guys, honestly, you know, Swint has filled in a role coming off the edge. I mean, he's played against the run. It's the same with Pringle, where they both played against the run as impressively as their roles as pass rusher and, and cornerback. Pringle was replacing, you know, maybe the one of the more reliable cornerbacks or say Tad, and that's, you know, they've got a guy in the league right now playing cornerback and Jandon Sullivan in Quay White. And Pringle's been great in every aspect of the defense. And I think your points about Brown are fair. It seems like that's where the ball has been going more on the outside, but I think it's more about just the steps that Pringle is, you know, immediately taken and the impression that he has made. And now obviously we didn't mention it in the Charlotte recap, but he had another pick great ball skills. Just, he knew where the ball was going and the receiver was had no clue. And he's like, this is mine. And, you know, that's a that's a good point, because I don't think quarterbacks are picking on Brown as a skill thing. I think we're seeing some of the bigger plays happen slightly as a skill thing. I just think quarterbacks look Pringles way and realize there's no reason for me to try this, you know, because he I mean, he is really playing some lockdown corner um, in, in a way that, I, you know, I, I really liked Quay. Um, I really liked Chandon. I don't remember Chandon playing like this. And I know, I know he was good. Like uh, this is not me comparing the two. I just specifically don't remember Chandon playing like this. So um, it, it isn't a, a, you know, a diss or whatever. Another thing you can say about Chandon is the steps that he has taken as an NFL player has been remarkable. Like he has become a much better player in the NFL than he was at Georgia state. And that's nothing to do with him as a Georgia state Panther. That's about that. He has taken the opportunity he got in the NFL and run with it and has now landed with several teams as a starter. Exactly. And, and I mean, you know, you'll look at his, his Wikipedia page or wherever you look at your football stats and say, Oh, he's, you know, kind of bounced around a lot of places. He gets run at these places. Like these are teams who are like, yes, we need Shannon Sullivan to play in our defensive backfield. Um, so yeah, I, I think the defense, they, de- they certainly have their, their work cut out for them. You know, when these games have gone coastal's way, I mean, look, it's been Grayson McCall being able to do what he does, extend plays, not really you go down easily and, you know, find guys who are open down the field. It's been a, a linebacker core who really can't make good tackles and good decisions. And, you know, they find they break contain often and you know i think this is a really good opportunity for the defense to say okay we are going to be xyz defense this year this is our first test against an offense that probably can do you know similar things to like what uh rhode island did but obviously they're probably better in a way than that style of offense yeah i mean i think it's going to be another thing where you're going to have to do what you did in the red zone against Charlotte, where you, know, you look at the numbers so far against FBS opponents, Coastal has had two touchdowns in their seven red zone trips. Georgia State's done a good job. Not that good numbers, but in their three games, nine red zone trips for opposing offenses, five touchdowns. That's second in the belt behind Coastal, uh, but Georgia State's numbers there are looking pretty good. So I don't single that out as much because it's an area that Coastal has maybe not had as much success and it's something Georgia State's done well. And so I will suspect, I will make a prediction, Coastal will hit on at least one, maybe more than one, like 30-plus yard pass play because it's what they already do and Georgia State's shown them a little susceptible to plays like that happening. But against Charlotte, they made the plays after that play. 
They weren't letting it go for a touchdown. They were getting stops. That'll be a key thing to watch because kind of feeds into a general thing that just early days in Coastal, and I'm not like negating McCall being an excellent college quarterback. It feels like a different enough offense with Chadwell gone. Like it, it he is putting more balls close to harm's way, whereas you know, the way that Chadwell had that thing running, he was really not having to make tough, you know, reads on the run. You know, it was really set up. And and that's not negating his abilities. That's just the, the offense was really humming to where he was in a position to succeed a lot. And he would make the throws he needed to. Uh, and Chadwell will make those calls because he knew he could trust his quarterback to make throws. Uh, it feels, you know, he's thrown some more picks. He's been throwing some more near picks than he ever really did in an extended run the last couple of years. And the run game feels less involved. You know, it doesn't feel exactly. And and I think that might be feeds into the, the red zone stuff as well. It just It doesn't feel like it's honed in and quite like, a whole offense approach like it was under Chadwell because, you know, when he got down in the red zone and we saw this like as on like that absolutely game killing drive in the second half last year against Georgia state in Atlanta, like it just felt like he knew exactly what plays he needed to run. And the offense went out and executed them. And it was the mix of, you know, quarterback run stuff and option stuff off of quarterback run and just the old fashioned passing game. And it does feel a little bit different. And that's not to say it's not a good offense. It just, it feels like maybe a little bit of the magic isn't there like it was. I will go a step further with Coastal's run game. Um, you know, I, they have played an FCS opponent. Um, so I will throw those stats out. Um, but through their game against Jacksonville State and their game against UCLA, Coastal had 79 rushes for 187 yards or 2.37 if you're rounding up yards per carry that's not good um you know obviously ucla you know people expect them to be a good team and this a year good beefy front i was watching good that beefy game. like they were yeah. just they they have a front with guys the size they're probably not going to see often in the sun belt you know and you know i i kind of checked jacksonville state just to kind of see where they're at you know their defense is averaging 2.97 uh yards per carry um, so I don't know if this is a coastal has just been bad or are bad situation, but I do not think coastal is going to want to be running this poorly against Georgia state and expect to win. Um, uh, that's definitely something they're going to want to improve on. And I mean, you know, credit to the Panthers so far this year, they have not been allowing things on the ground. Um, and that's that's definitely an area that I would call a strength right now. You know, um, it's it's definitely been improved. Um, it's definitely something that has killed Georgia State in years past. But I mean, Rhode Island had over a hundred yards, but other than that, you know, Charlotte didn't get there. Uh, Eighty-three point three yards a game, roughly. yeah, second yeah. in the conference right now. Behind, I have to say the ghastliest number I've ever seen because James Madison is allowing 22 rushing yards a game through three weeks. If you saw my face, if you saw my face earlier, that is what I was making the face to because I was clued into how little total yards James Madison is allowing on the ground this year. And it is absurd is a very apt way of November. describing it. We'll, we'll leave that off till November. We'll see what we'll worry about that later. 
<laughs> yes. Um, oh, but yeah, but I, I, I do think that like Georgia State's going to want to win against Coastal's run game. Like if his, we're talking about them giving up 200 yards, it will be a disappointment because they have been very good against the run so far. And Coastal has not shown the explosiveness that they had in that game in the past. Now, I unlike you, I think they're going to want to establish it. Like, I think they are going to, you know, I think they're going to try and get it going. I'm just interested to see what it looks like. And it hasn't featured McCall as much as a runner before, which is, or hasn't featured McCall as a runner as much as before, which I felt like was a dimension of the run game that made them really tough to deal with. So I would wonder why he isn't as much of a factor from the outside looking in. They're certainly going to try to establish it. And that's, I mean, like you said, McCall probably is going to be the reason that they get it going. Um, And I think the linebackers this year have been, they're not really spying. um, And I think they've been a little susceptible to some quarterback movement in that regard. So that'll be something else to watch. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think if Coastal runs the ball well, it's probably going to be a long day for Georgia State. Um, So that's going to be probably their second most important thing to watch. My last thing on the defensive side of things is like, I'm just interested to see what the game plan looks like because it's a new offense. There's a lot of new, but it's a lot of personnel that Chad Staggs went up against in practice a bunch and new saw in day in, day out. And so I'm just interested to see what his plan is because it doesn't really give him a leg up to know the personnel as far as like, he's not going to have their signs. He's not going to have any of that stuff because new offense, the new offensive coordinator, all that jazz. But if it's a case where they're, you know, not blitzing like crazy, it'll tell me that he feels like there's some other way that is the way to beat Grayson McCall. And so I just say without really predicting my hunches is going to be a lot more of the aggressiveness because I think that's how you beat good quarterbacks and just not letting them have time to throw. But I just am noting it as a, I will be watching to see if I can figure out what the game plan is, because if there's any offense in the Sun Belt, just by personnel number that he should know the best, just because he's around it the most, it'd be that. And uh, we'll see how that goes uh, on the offensive side. The internal yeah, I, I feel like interest we, me. We focus so much on the yeah. defense. There's a whole other side of the ball to talk about. I, I don't have a ton here just because it's like, well, let's see if Darren Granger continues to look like Darren. Like if Darren Granger is playing like he has to start and especially how he played last week, then they're going to be a hard team to beat. Uh, just full stop. Uh, but the thing I'm interested in is kind of the internal chess match of we know how much Sean Elliott likes tempo and we've seen how effective they've been at tempo this year certainly they shouldn't run away from what they've been doing well but i am curious to see how much they kind of balance that with these you know they had a seven and a half yard touchdown drive against yukon that six and a half yard six and a half minute uh field goal drive against charlotte and i think the best way to negate all that we just talked about with mccall is not let him on the field as much so it's going to be interesting to see how they go about and what whether they just say we're going to run our offense, we're going to run tempo, and if we score a bunch and leave the defense out there a lot, we're going to, and that's just the way it is, or if we see a little bit more of an attempted ball control. Because I don't really know, except until the end against Charlotte, they were really trying to ball control, but then you looked up and they won the time of possession 32-27 to 27 and change. So they ended up doing a decent job against Charlotte of doing that. But 
I will just, again, be watching to see. I think it would behoove them to take their time where they can, but I understand that it's kind of a, a tricky balance between what really has worked with just not letting teams ever get a second to breathe on defense versus trying to milk some clock. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, turnovers, that'll be key. Coastal for, you know, we could talk about who they've played, but at the end of the day, they still got three turnovers. They forced three turnovers against UCLA. So um, that's, they've already gotten six interceptions on the year. And that's, that's, that's not a little amount of interceptions yeah. in three games. Like that, that is a really good number. A little earlier, they were the number one team right now in red zone defense. Uh, that's why, because UCLA, they got at least two of those three interceptions were like in the end zone, inside the five, uh, in the red zone. And so definitely going to have to keep executing there. But that's where it's like, I'm going to need to see them struggle in those areas. I know I said something similar last week against Charlotte and it paid out because Georgia State played really clean against Charlotte and didn't get in their own way where it's like, I'm going to have to see them struggle in those circumstances to believe it's going to be an issue. Like I think right now, whether they're throwing for 500 yards a game every week, probably not a bankable thing. You might not see a throwing game from Darren exactly like that one again this year. Uh, but I think you could reasonably look at it, given they only have one turnover to three games and say, it's a team that's really handling the ball well. And, you know, Q, this being a game where there's like inexplicable fumbles and they lose the turnover margin. But what is replicable from game to game so far is that part of it. Like, it feels like that is something that they're going to have a handle on. And that'll give them a lot of success if they can keep that going. Because, you know, the quickest way on the road to have a game get out of hand is stuff like that. You know, the pick six that makes it a two score game, the crowd goes crazy. Certainly, if there's an environment that was going to test them in that regard, this will be the biggest one so far. Second road game, heading to the whiteout, coastal. Big environment for sure on Thursday. Huge environment. You know, this is this is why the Sunbelt has been, you know, puffing their chest, talking about being the best, uh, you know, G5 conference, non-power conference. And we get this game midweek. America will be watching. It's also on big boy ESPN, like Jordan said. Like, this is what you want. You know, people Georgia right State now are... Brad Harry Lyles on the sideline. Yeah. Dan Bullen in the booth. Bring yeah, out all the know, big guns. People are talking about how, you know, this might be a matchup of the current, the two best, the quarterbacks in the Sun Belt that are playing the best right now. So, yeah, this is great that you get this in week four. Like, this is just another awesome week in college football. And the reality is, I think this is the first of three of a test for Georgia State. Like I mentioned all the beginning about this being not a great matchup, and I still believe that. And it's not a cop out because I still think to get where you want to be as like a high end goal this year, you need to at least win two of these next three against Coastal, Troy, and Marshall. But I am looking at it after those two games as well, and not just like if they lose this one, unless they just get kind of the doors blown off them, I'm really not going to take much away because. I think Coastal's good. It's hard to win on the road. You know, the way you set yourself up with three, being 3-0 three and o is you win one of these next three. You're still 4-2. and two. You win two of them, you're 5-1, and one, and people are going to really take notice because these next three games are your chances to, you know, end the, oh, who have you played, though? Because these are all really respectable teams in the Sun Belt and the type of teams you're going to have to get wins against 
to be at the upper echelon of the Sun Belt and kind of reach that for the first time under Sean Elliott. And, I mean, just given who these opponents are, you st- I mean, look, you still got to go through James Madison, App State later. Um, if you win these next three, you have the confidence to say that you can beat anybody that remaining on your schedule. You know, I'm not going to sit I mean, here and tell you. If they win the next three, they're going to a bowl game. Like, they're 6-0 and at that point. If they're if winning all three. Sorry. If you, if you win, you know, two of the next three. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that's what I foresee. Um, but you know, we talked about it in the off season, you know, when you schedule the way that they have this year and you have that confidence and you're playing well, like that's what you want to see. That's, you know, that's how you want to enter Sunbelt play. Um, and I, I think our, yeah, this is just a good barometer to see where this Georgia state team is. And it is an important, an important stretch for them coming up. Um, it's not make or break, obviously, for their season. There's too many variables to, you know, talk about that even a little bit. But it's just important, you know. You want to see them maybe, play well through these three. Maybe games. more make than break. Y- yes, I would say that is correct as well. Um, so, gonna be a fun one. Can't wait to be there. All right. So that's all we have time for this week. Uh, but of course, before we get you out of here, we do need to go through everything that is going on in Georgia State Athletics this upcoming week, starting with Thursday. Main event, football at Coastal Carolina in Conway, 7.30 p.m. on Big Boy ESPN. And of course, you can listen to Dave Cohen on the call on WRAS FM 88.5. Uh, Brady and I, as mentioned before, will be in attendance for all of your in-game reporting and photographic needs. And we'll look forward to seeing you there if you make the trip. Also happening on Thursday, Women's soccer travels to Monroe, Louisiana to face ULM at 8 p.m. That match will be on ESPN+. Moving on to Friday. Women's golf heads to Greenville, South Carolina for a three-day event in the Lady Paladin Invitational hosted by Furman University. While volleyball hosts Coastal Carolina for a two-game homestand at 6 p.m. in Atlanta on ESPN+. And men's soccer travels to Columbia, South Carolina to face South Carolina at 7 p.m also on ESPN+. Moving on to Saturday, women's golf continues in Greenville, and volleyball hosts the second of two games versus the Chanticleers in Atlanta, this time at 1 p.m. on ESPN+. On Sunday, women's golf concludes at the Lady Paladin Invitational, and women's soccer hosts Coastal Carolina at the GSU Soccer Complex at 1 p.m. on ESPN+. And then on Monday, men's golf heads to Sapphire, North Carolina for the JT Poston Invitational, hosted by Western Carolina University. They'll be there Monday and Tuesday. And then on Tuesday, men's soccer hosts Lipscomb at the GSU Soccer Complex at 7 p.m., also on ESPN+. And that's everything for this upcoming week in Georgia State Athletics. Hope to see you in Conway on Thursday. If not, you can always watch along on Big Boy ESPN or listen live to Dave Cohen on the call. And we'll see you in next week's episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Have a great week and go Panthers.